Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Can you hear me okay? The second question is, can you understand me okay? Okay. Because I'm from Finland and English is my third language. So uh, if, if you can understand me, that's due to my wife who is from Indiana and she has taught me really well. Yes. Can I introduce to you my wife? Would you stand up, Rami? Yeah. She is God's gift to me. Um, you know, I preached last night, and it was an amazing event and, and wonderful, and uh, then my wife helped me fix the sermon for this morning, so, <laughs> so it's really good. So it's really good. You guys are in for a treat. It's wonderful to be here. It's uh, such an honor to be here uh, speaking with, uh, uh, at the church and uh, to meet with you. And he- I've heard so much about you guys and what you guys are doing in the area of uh, different ministries and especially reaching out to people in this area and in the ends of the earth. That's something that I am really, really excited about. I do believe that we are living in the last days. I do believe that. That's my personal conviction, and uh, I know probably every generation before me has believed that same thing as well, but I do believe, because I'm seeing Scripture fulfilled in front of my eyes. I'm seeing the last sign that still needs to be fulfilled, which is the nations coming to Christ, the gospel being preached at the end of the earth, and then the end will come. I'm believing that that is happening actually as we speak. And I'm excited to be here this weekend with you. And if you would want to, I'm going to read from Revelations chapter 7. This is what is going to happen in the end. Revelations chapter 7, and it says this. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders, and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory, and wisdom, and thanks, and honor, and power, and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that this is going to happen, and we're grateful that you've invited us to be a part of fulfilling this. Now this morning as we open your word, would you uh, just speak to us, speak to our hearts, speak to our lives, uh, make readjustments if we need, if you'd like us to. We are here to hear what your spirit has to say. We want to open up our hearts so that we can receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. Amen. Just a short introduction of myself. I've got a few pictures uh, from my uh, childhood. My grandfather was a missionary. Let's put the first picture up. My grandfather was a first missionary sent from the Pentecostal churches in Finland. This was when the revival started in about a hundred years ago, and my grandfather left to China. 
And he became the first missionary from our group of churches, and he came back and excited people, and he made all of his children wear those kinds of clothes. <laughs> My father is the one who is on the far uh, right from your uh, vantage point. Uh, he's, he's the one there. He was the little, little kid. He grew up in China, and uh, when they were kicked out from China, they went to Sri Lanka and India. My father went to school there, so my father still speaks with an Indian accent, and his head starts going like this. <laughs> and uh, we grew up, we grew up in, uh, in, in uh, Indonesia, actually, and uh, the next picture has, has uh, me involved. So that's my grandfather, my father, and that's me, uh, really not happy about having to be a missionary, but there I was. Uh, but the Lord did some work in me, and the next picture shows that I actually got very happy about being a missionary. And uh, so I grew up in Indonesia uh, amongst Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and uh, animistic spirit worshipers, and that's where I met Jesus in the middle of the jungles of Borneo. Uh, the next picture shows my home. This was my home for the first 12 years of my life. It was a Yankee minesweeper used in Normandy that my grandfather purchased and refitted to be a missions ship a gospel ship. And uh, so he took that and he took 37 missionaries with him in 1954 from Finland to Sri Lanka, India, Africa, and later on in Indonesia. And that's where I came along. And I was two weeks old when I was brought into the ship. And the next picture shows the ship in color. I loved it when the 70s God created color, you know. <laughs> it was much, much have been really boring before that <laughs> when the world was black and white. But this was, this was the home that I lived in for the first 12 years of my life until it sunk in a storm in Java Sea. We were in the lifeboat for 21 hours in the middle of Java Sea. Nobody knew that we had that our ship had sunk. Nobody was coming. There was no search and rescue team coming for us. We were 19 of us in the middle of the sea in a storm in a small lifeboat. And that is where I decided to give the rest of my life to Jesus. <laughs> I said to him at that point, I said, I am going to give you the rest of my life. I will do whatever you ask me to do. I will go wherever you ask me to go, and I will say whatever you ask me to say for the rest of my life, for the rest of my life. And of course, it's good when you don't know if it's five minutes or however long. It's, it's a good moment to make that, make that decision, make that call. Now, later on, when we were rescued and we were found and moved back to Finland, um, I wish that God would have forgotten the promise that I had made to him. How many can relate to that? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wish that, you know, God would not remember, that, you know, that maybe he has forgotten. The, but sure enough, you know, the thing about God is he's got a great memory. <laughs> he remembers all the promises that he has made for you and to you. But he also remembers all the promises that you've made to him. I was a teenager when he came and he knocked on my door, heart, and says, you remember that promise that you made? I said, oh, yes. And uh, I'm happy that I've been able to follow him for the last 30 years in ministry uh, from a very young age. And uh, I'm so honored that I have a next generation, and the next picture shows the next generation. And my oldest daughter, Hannah, is actually preparing to become a missionary. She's in Bible school right now. And so there's a generational calling that has, that has been. Now, I have to say that all my aunts and uncles became missionaries. 
all of them, all five of them in the picture, they became missionaries, different parts of the world. And um, I am the black sheep of the family because I'm just a pastor. <laughs> but, you know, I'm so happy that my daughter is there to redeem the family name. <laughs> And, and to go ahead in the future. This picture was taken last summer, and uh, since then we've added two more children. You know, the Bible says the first commandment, be fruitful and multiply. We take it seriously. <laughs> we have adopted two kids uh, since then, uh, kids that didn't have parents, so we've taken them up as a part of our family. And uh, so, yeah, we have six kids, and, uh, and me and, and Rami, and we are struggling as parents. <laughs> Thank you for praying for us. Now, um, have you ever told, started telling a story or a joke and you've forgotten the punchline? Or somebody has told you a, a story and they forgot the punchline? Can I see your hand? Is that, you know, at least once I need to see a good hand? Yes, thank you. Thank you. The rest of you are lying and this is church and God's going to get you. <laughs> There is this story about a young pastor who, who had just come into the, uh, to, to his church, and he had a problem with his communication skills. He was, had a really hard time communicating and keeping people's attention. You know, it was 10, 15 minutes into the sermon, and people started drifting off, thinking, where should I go for lunch today? I wonder if the laundry is done, and, and you know, I, I hope that, they, you know, and, and so, you know, he could see that people were not paying attention to what he had to say, and he was discouraged about it. He heard that there was a famous preacher coming to his city, and so he decided that he was going to go and listen and maybe get some tips, a few tips from this preacher about how to communicate better. So he goes there, he's ready with his notepad and his, his, his pen, and he's writing down all the important stuff from his, uh, from his message, and, and he realizes, the young pastor realizes that even this famous speaker had a problem with keeping the attention of the audience at some point, and he's wondering, I wonder if he notices that. I wonder that we're all thinking different things at the moment and, and so he say, so he, he looks at the pastor and sure enough the pastor apparently sees it because he pauses and he goes very quiet and then he says he changes the tact he changes the speed and he says I have a confession to make and he says I have often found myself in the arms of another man's a wife and he got the attention. People were sitting at the edge of the seat. What did he say? What did he just say? And he repeats himself. I have a confession to make. I have often found myself in the arms of another man's wife. And you could hear a pin drop. Everybody's face was focused. And even the young pastor was like, wow, I'm in the midst of, you know, something tr tremendous is about to happen. And then he says, yes, I have often found myself in the arms of my mother. <laughs> you got it, another man's wife, you know, just, if you didn't get it, you can contact one of the pastors at the end of the service. <clears throat> so he says, the young preacher says, this is really good, I'm using this next Sunday. <laughs> he writes it down and he goes to his church next Sunday. And sure enough, about 10 minutes into the sermon, he has lost the crowd. And so he looks at his small congregation and he says, Dear brothers and sisters, I have a confession to make. 
I have often found myself in the arms of another man's wife and the audience, he has them. <laughs> They're sitting at the edge of their seats and he repeats himself. I have often found myself in the arms of another man's wife. And the crowd is quiet and he starts turning beet red. Cold sweat starts pouring out. He has completely forgotten the punchline. And so he just blurts out, but for the life of me, I cannot remember whose wife it was. Sometimes in our lives, I feel that even in our lives, we forget there is a punchline. There is an end to our story. Sometimes I'm afraid that as churches we forget that there is a punchline coming. There's an end to the story. Sometimes I'm afraid that as people of God, as children of God, we forget that there is a punchline coming. There is something that is about to happen. Sometimes we forget that we need to have a clear vision in our lives. Everybody needs a vision. The Bible says that without vision, people perish. They cast off restraint. They become wild. So if a parent doesn't have a vision, a punchline, an end of the story, a thing where we are heading, you know, the, the, the children will grow wired, wild. They will cast off restraint. If teachers doesn't know that there is an end to this story coming where we are heading, it happens so that the, the children will go wild. In, in her class, in his class. If a national leader doesn't have a punchline, doesn't remember that there's a, there's a vision, there's a direction we're heading. If a pastor doesn't have a vision, if a, if a person, a child of God doesn't have a vision, we will go wild and we will perish, as one of the translations say. We will perish without remembering that there is an end to the punchline. Now, the Bible reminds us that there is an end. There is a punchline that is going to happen. We just read it. We just read it. That is the end of everything. I mean, it is the beginning of eternity, but it is the end of this age and this time, and it is going to happen. John saw it. It is going to happen. It is written in the book. It is going to happen. The end is coming and there is going to be an amazing feast that we just reminded ourselves about that Jesus is waiting for us for and he is waiting for us to be there with him and he said that he's not going to touch this stuff until that day and he's waiting that we're all going to be with him there I'm looking forward to that day I'm looking forward to that day. Sometimes, if and when my life becomes too comfortable, I kind of said, well, actually, I'm not in such a hurry to go. Yeah, actually, you know what? It's, it's, it's pretty good. You know, I got the right meds, and, you know, I got <laughs> changed into a new car, and, you know, and, and yeah, actually, I'm fine. Actually, I'm fine. And I forget that God is working all the time to make sure that this punchline is going to happen. The end of the story is going to happen. And he's looking forward to this very day. Now there's something amazing about this end of this story. 
Apostle John, in the book of Revelation, he looks at the amount of angels, and he's about, he, he was able to approximately say, you know, this is approximately, you know, so many by so many angels that I saw there. But then when he saw the multitudes of people who have been saved through the blood of Jesus and the work of the cross, he looks at these people and, and he says, this is an amazing group of people. There is, it's, no one can count how many there are. No one can count. There's going to be so many people that, that no one can count except Jesus who not knows only every single person. He knows their name and he knows how many hairs they have on their head. That's amazing. That's pretty amazing. That's some accurate accounting up there. He knows what's going to be. But John looks at the crowd and he starts noticing something. But you know what? I'm recognizing that there are some people in the back there from, from, from Norway. And there are some Swedes there. And I'm noticing that there are some... Americans there, and I'm recognizing that there are some, some, you know, and he starts noticing all these people groups and tribes that are there, and there's going to be some Finnish people, and the Finnish people are going to be sitting in the back row, because that's where we like to sit, the back row, nobody, our favorite view is the neck of the person in front of us, yeah, that's, that's what we live for, that we come so, you know, in our church, we come to church so early so that we can reserve the back seat. You know, we don't, we don't come to the, this is the, I don't know what it is. So I'm assuming that in heaven when we go, the Finns love coffee. We are the population in the world that uses the most coffee per capita, just to let you know. And, and, and the second is we love sauna. Sauna, we call it sauna. You might call it sauna or something, but that's not real, you know. Sauna. <laughs> Sauna. It's sauna. Everybody just, please, tell it. Sauna. sauna. There we go. Thank you. I have done my job, Lord. No. There are 5 million. The population of Finland is 5 million people. We have 2.2 million saunas. We love our sauna. So I'm imagining in heaven, in the back row, there's going to be some guys with their towels on their shoulders and asking, where's the sauna? And the angels answering them, you guys got the wrong place. <laughs> There you go. But John starts looking at these people and he starts noticing that, you know, there are people, look at that. There's people from Saudi Arabia here. There are people from Syria here. There are people from different tribes and tongues in this place gathered together. That's, you know, and he starts looking at it. For Finnish people, we're, up till a few years ago, we only had Finnish people in Finland. You know, so it was hard for us to imagine a country like Indonesia where there are 750 different language groups. But Paul, uh, John starts looking at these and says, you know what, these are all the different people groups, the different languages, ethnic groups and language groups are represented here. All over 12,000 of them are represented in this room. Wow, that's going to be a feast. And that's what he's working towards. And that's what's happening, by the way, today in the world. The gospel is being preached to the ends of the earth. And that's an amazing, amazing thing. 
I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard of the 1040 window. Have you ever heard of the 1040 window? It's like 10 degrees north to 40 degrees south, and it's a window that includes Africa and Asia and the Middle East. Most of the world's unreached people groups who have never heard of Jesus live in this window. When you put it on the map, uh, it's like a window, and they live in that, inside of that window. And, and that's something that was amazing to us. So for a long, for many years in Finland, we have been praying for the 1040 window. And we've been praying this, Lord, open the doors to the Middle East. Open the doors to Iraq. Open the doors to Afghanistan. Lord, open the doors. We need you to open the doors. And God answered the prayers, but not in a way that we would imagine, because his ways are so much higher than we are. We've been praying that God opened the doors. We just didn't realize that these doors have hinges on both sides, so they can go either way. And God decided to open the doors, and in 2015, about half a million people started crossing the ocean, the Mediterranean, and started walking and coming up into that. There's a picture of them coming. This is one boatload of people who are coming up uh, to, to Europe uh, 2015 in the summer and in the fall of people. They started coming to us. Now, we could have said... No, and, and many of us did, and even in Finland, we're not sure what to do. 30,000 of them decided to walk up to Finland. Walk up, take a train, uh, some mode of transportation, came to Finland asking for asylum. 30,000 of them. Now, I'm not into politics. I don't understand the politics in, in the world, but I'm into gospel. I'm into gospel. And it's like... When is there a chance that I am going to be able to preach the gospel to 30,000 Muslims that are coming to my doorstep? And there was one Sunday morning worship service when this became really concrete for me. I was sitting in the front of the service and I had my hands up in the air and I was probably the only one in my congregation because Finns are not expressive. They like to worship with their hands in the pocket and, you know, nod along the music. And, and so, but I was trying to give, I'm, <laughs> the only reason I do it because I'm about to preach. So I need the Holy Spirit more than the rest of the crowd. So I had my, I had my hands up and I was, <laughs> you know, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need, I, and, and as I closed my eyes, I saw, I don't know what it's called, a vision or a dream or something, but I closed my eyes and I saw in front of my eyes my entire church packed with Arabs worshiping Jesus in Arabic language. And I was like, wow. And I opened my eyes and I looked back and it was full of white Finnish people <laughs> that I'm not sure they were worshiping Jesus. And I closed my eyes again because that view was so much better than what I was seeing behind me. So I closed my eyes again and I, I, I started looking at this. My ba- the balcony was full. The floor was full. And they were worshiping Jesus in Arabic. And it was my church. So when I went up to preach, I said, this is what we're going to do, guys. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to welcome these people to our church. You know, the government, that's their business, what they're going to do with the people coming to the church. But we are going to welcome them to our church. And so we're going to host a 
welcome to Finland party um, in a couple of weeks. So anybody interested in helping us, um, you, you know, would you come next Saturday for a training session? We have some some great people, missionaries who worked in the Arab world. They're going to come and they're going to teach us everything they know about reaching them. But mainly, you just need to love them. You know, if you're able to love them, would you just come next Saturday? And 300 people showed up the next Saturday for a training day on how we can love on these people. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then we sent out, we put out invitations on bulletin boards in different refugee centers, and this started happening all over Finland in different towns where they had situated these refugee centers. The local churches would go and just put up invitations there, and 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 uh, it said next Friday night come at 6 p.m. You know we're going to have a welcome to Finland party. Um, you know we're going to share and have food, and and uh, and it's going to be in a church. In a church. And so, next Saturday, over 200 Muslims come to my church. Some of them are very hesitant because they've been told when they were little kids in the mosques that if you ever enter a church, there's a direct trap door there that will open up and take you straight to hell. This will happen to any good, good Muslim. So they came a little bit hesitant, you know, trying on the floors. <laughs> And they came and they sat down and we shared and we said, welcome, I'm sorry, we didn't know that you guys were coming. <laughs> um, but here's some food and uh, here's some fellowship. And we shared about you know, living in Finland and a little bit about the culture and, and coffee and sauna, you know, the important two things to know in Finland. And, and, and we just shared with them and then it was time for me to share whatever I felt on my heart. You know, they just said, just share something about Jesus. And that's what I said. You know what I shared about? All of a sudden I'm standing there, I said, you know what? When I was a little boy, I was in a small lifeboat in the middle of the ocean, and I thought I was going to die. And I had their attention. All of a sudden, things that happened over 30 years earlier started making sense to me. Why did God allow that? Maybe because they could relate to what I had gone through. And I had, at the end of that service, people coming and showing pictures of the kind of dinghies that they had taken to cross the border. I said, that was so powerful. At the end of that, and this is something very interesting about, about Muslims, is um, they are, might not respond to an altar call for, to give your life to Jesus, but you don't need to do that. You just need to ask, is there anything that I can pray for you? And 99% of them will say, well, actually, it, since you're praying, would you pray for this? And so at the end of that session that we had together, I asked, is there anything that you would like us to pray for? You know, any, uh, you just put your hand, if you have something on your heart that you're like, 200 hands shoot up. Can you pray for this? <laughs> and then they start sharing, you know, my, my mom is, is uh, in the hospital and she's dying, or my sister is just about to make the crossing in the Mediterranean, or issues with home and issues all over. They, they're carrying all these weights on their hearts. And, and then they, and they, they would, you, would you help? Would you pray for this? And we prayed for them. And Jesus, as is his habit, starts answering prayers. These people who were Muslim. And they could make the connection between the prayer that was said and the answer that they received. They started challenging my faith. You know, in, well, your Jesus can do it. Your Jesus can do it. Why, why is this even a problem? <laughs> There was one guy who came up to me after, at the end of one service and said, you know what, my dad is in the hospital in Baghdad, 
and they're not sure he's going to make the operation tomorrow because he's in such weak. He cannot walk anymore. He has not been able to walk for several weeks, and they're going to go into his heart and do open heart surgery in Baghdad, and I'm really scared about it. Could you pray that Jesus would heal him? I said, yeah, sure, we can pray. So I grab his hand and says, oh, no, 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 wait, wait a moment. And he takes up his cell phone, smartphone, and he says, there's my dad on the line in Baghdad. <laughs> I said, okay, this got really interesting now. I'm not sure my faith is, you know, it was good to pray here, but, you know, now I'm live in Baghdad <laughs> in the hospital room. And so I, I say, okay, let's pray. And so I prayed the most simple, unfaith-filled prayer that I know. I tried to muster up everything that I had, but I really didn't have any prayer. And, and, I, and, I, and I said, okay, in Jesus' name, amen, and just accidentally closed off the phone, you know, lying to Baghdad on purpose, accidentally. And, and you know, just because, because I, I was intimidated by the situation. And so I go, I go and, and, and I ask, um, you know, a few days later, I was a little bit hesitant to, you know, to ask him. I didn't know, but he wasn't crying, so I knew that the father hadn't died in the operation. And, and so I went a few days later, and I said, um, how's your dad doing? Did the operation go well? And he said, what operation? I said, no, your dad. We prayed for your dad last Sunday. How, how did the operation go? You know, so the operation would go well. I says, no, we prayed for Jesus to heal him, not for an operation. I said, well, yeah, um, you know, but Jesus uses doctors and, you know, and, and all of that. My wonderful Western mentality came out. And, and he says, no, 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 after, after you turned off the phone, he got up in the hospital and he left. You know, he didn't need an operation. <laughs> 30,000 Muslims came to Finland. About eight to 10,000 of them have received asylum. Uh, 20,000 have been shipped back. But out of those 30,000, in the matter of two years, 2,000 became followers of Jesus. And so today we have churches in Afghanistan. We have churches in Iran. We have churches in Iraq. You know, because they, they were shipped back out there. And some of them are with us today. And it has changed our church for the good, for the most part. Last September, we hosted our first Arabic conference. And these are people from all over Finland who have become followers of Jesus. And my church was full of people worshiping Jesus in Arabic. God's vision is being fulfilled. Now, if you have a vision, you also need a strategy. You know, vision by itself is not enough. Well, someday I'm going to do that. That could just be a dream. You know, it's, it's just a dream. It's just a you know, nightmare or whatever is heading out there. But, but you need to have a strategy. What are you going to do to reach that vision? What are the steps that you need to do? You know, God has 
a strategy. He not only has a vision, he also has a strategy. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to read it to you, God's strategy that he has to reaching his, uh, fulfilling the vision that he has, the strategy of God. It's found in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and I'm sure that at some point you've heard, most likely you've heard this, this verse, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth you will become you 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 will you 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 will do it you know that, that it is it is now there are people who look at this and say okay what is the strategy is it the holy spirit full of the holy spirit is it jerusalem judea samaria and to the ends of the earth so i'm going to try to read it one more time and just to make it really clear you know just to emphasize you know the the words so because i want you to go home knowing what is god's strategy i don't want you to leave out here wondering i wonder what it is so i'm just going to try to emphasize what god's strategy is so listen very carefully but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Did you catch that? <laughs> no, there's some guys in the back. They didn't catch it. I'm going to do it one more time. <laughs> Please listen carefully. Do I have your attention? All right. But will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witness to the ends of the earth. Isn't that amazing? That God would have as his strategy you, me. Because let's be honest. If I was God, and I'm just going to be very honest here. If I was God... I would not probably choose you. (laughs) Because if I was God, I would know all of your faults, all of your sins, all of your mistakes, all of those times when God told you to do something, you felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and you said, is that really you, God? (laughs) Why? Are you sure? I'm not going to do it. If I was God, I probably wouldn't choose me. (laughs) If I was God, I'd choose angels, you know? Can you imagine 10 million angels just descending on the Middle East? (sighs) Who wouldn't believe? Or San Diego, 5 million angels (sighs) with a Jesus film in their hand. Who, who would believe? You know, angels. They've, you know, they've never doubted God. The ones who doubted, the ones who have said that we're special, they were thrown out of heaven. You know, so the, only the good guys are left there, and they have never questioned when God asked them to do something. They've never questioned it. The ones who sinned are out there. They're all. I would choose angels I, over you and me, personally. Because I know how weak we are, and I wonder why God chose you. And I don't have the whole answer for it. But I think it has to do with the thing that angels have no clue what it means to be forgiven from their sins. Angels have no idea what assurance of salvation means to them. 
And for a person from the Middle East who has been taught to pray five times, to follow the five pillars of Islam, for them, you know, uh, they can never be sure if it's enough. They can never be sure if that is, that is you know, that's going to be. And I tell you, one of the most wonderful things for me is to go and preach in a Muslim crowd in my church and say, it's not about what you have done. It's about what God did for you. And that is enough. That is enough. Oh, it's, 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 it's amazing. It's such a blessing. It's, it's, it's enough. The completed work on Calvary is enough. It's enough. And, and to have a person for the first time in their life have assurance of salvation. And then God usually, once we've done something and they say, you know, I don't understand about this. You know, I don't know if I can believe what you say. I say, okay, let's, can we pray together? And, and, and then we will, you know, I'll hold their hand and we'll pray. And, and you can start the countdown from there. How many nights it takes for them to see a vision of Jesus in their dream. I'm just telling you this as a, as a small tidbit. The religion of Islam has a little bit of glitch in their coding that was inserted there. The whole religion is based on dreams and visions that they saw. So Muslims are very keen and they believe the dreams that they see. And they're wondering what happens. And so when Jesus appears there, I've had, we have people coming, we have had people coming in, walking off the streets, asking for, can you explain my dream? I saw this man dressed in white and said, I am the way. Do you know who he is? <laughs> How easy is that? Man, can't get any easier than that. Yeah, I've heard of him. <laughs> I know who he is. And then we read the scriptures. We go to John and we go and we read and say, man, that is the guy. That's the guy. What do I need to do? Ah, it's amazing. And we're living in those times. We're living in those times. God's vision is you. He still needs a vessel. He needs somebody to explain. And he has chosen you. He's chosen you for San Diego. He's chosen you for United States. He's chosen some of you in this room for the Middle East. Some of you he's chosen for Europe. We really need help in Europe. It's, it's the former great Christian continent. And we really need help. We need your prayers in, in Europe. And God has chosen us in our weaknesses that I'm going to send some more people to you and, 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 and you just share the gospel with them. And, and, and so that's what we've been trying to do. Some of the stories that come out, and I'll end with this, Osama. Not that, but another guy. Um, there's other Osamas in the Middle East. He was leaving from Iraq, um, and, and uh, he was the oldest of his family. That's why most of the people who went out from uh, the Middle East, started going to Europe, were young men, because they were supposed to go first, establish a place where the rest of the family could follow, you know, because they were the ones who would probably make the crossing in the Mediterranean. They could walk if they needed to. They were the strong ones, so most of them were men. Osama was the oldest son of his family. He was married, had two children, and uh, they, they were saying goodbye at home. And, and they were all giving hugs. And, and uh, the father of the family, an old man, wise man, comes and gives his last embrace to his son, Osama. And he whispers in his ear these words, Osama, if you ever get in trouble that you cannot get out of, use and call the name of Isa.
Jesus. And Osama knew a little bit about Jesus that he took a step back and says, what is wrong with my father? I have, I'm 31 years of age and I have never heard my father speak about Jesus. But he, he pulled him, pulls him back and repeats it and says, if you ever get into a problem that you cannot get out of, call on the name of Isa al-Masih, Jesus the Messiah. And so, okay. And leaves and forgets about it, tucks it somewhere in the back of his memory. There is one incident where there is a uh, human smuggler, the guy who's in charge of getting him across the Mediterranean, who pulls out a gun on him and he freaks out and he doesn't remember but he remembers the name of Isa and so he says in the name of Isa and the situation kind of you know dissipates but he didn't think about it then he's on the boat in the middle of the Mediterranean and their engine dies down it, you know they, they run into a huge problem and they start drifting in the sea currents and a panic overtakes Osama and he starts like gasping for breath and he's saying I'm, we, he's sure that they're going to end up drifting to Africa and they're going to die in the middle of the Mediterranean so, so he, he just is panicked and there's families with children on the boat so he decides that he's going to not go there he he can almost see the shore he can almost he can feel it he can feel that there, there must be Greece is over there I, I'm sure of it and now we're drifting away I'm just going to swim over there so he jumps off the ship off the boat that they're in and as his feet land into the water he remembers one crucial thing he has never learned to swim and so he's in the middle of the Mediterranean and he's scrambling for air. His head is going down and up and he's scrambling in hell. And the other guys on the boat don't know how to swim either. And their boat is drifting away from him and he is panicking in the water. And then he remembers, call on the name of Isa. And so he yells out in the middle of the Mediterranean, Isa, help me. And out of nowhere, a speedboat appears with two women in it. And as they pull him out, he's scrambling, trying to get air back into his lungs. He goes and he sits and the boat goes and takes the rubber dinghy and they start towing them towards Greece. <laughs> he cannot help but ask the ladies on the boat, who are you and where did you come from? The timing was impeccable. And one of the ladies says, we are followers of Isa. I'm, I'm from Palestine. And we were out here looking for people in trouble. And we were just about to go back to the shore. When I felt in my heart, Isa whispered, go out one more time. And that's when we saw you. Osama comes to Finland and he wants to know more about Isa al-Masih. He's a member of our church. His family got reunited. He's one of the elders in our Arabic congregation because he's more experienced. He's been a follower of Isa for two years now, so he's one of the elders. <laughs> I wonder sometimes what would have happened if those two ladies would have just said, you know, I'm too tired. I can't take this prompting anymore. It's probably the pizza. It's not, you know, or hunger. I, I, I just want to go home and I, I want to do it. And didn't, were not ob obedient to go for one more round. I wonder with our lives 
if we are being faithful and obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I bet if the Holy Spirit could, he could download a, an email to you right now about your neighbors, about what he would like to see happen in them. The question is, would you be willing to be used as his hands and as his feet and as his mouthpiece when needed? Sometimes you don't need the mouth. You just need the hands and the feet. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? If in this room you're feeling that I would like to be a part of that strategy of God. If you're feeling like I need to do something about my life. And if God really needs me, I'm willing to be used. If you're willing to pray that prayer that I prayed as 12 years of age, at 12 years of age in the middle of a Java Sea, whatever you need, wherever you want, say whatever you want me to do and say, I'm here. If that's you, would you just put your hand over your heart and just as a symbol that I'm going to give you my heart. And with that, I give you my life. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus in this room, would you come and would you touch us? Father, you've brought us here from many different places and walks of life. And we're baffled that you would like to use us to finish your vision. But Lord, we're saying with this simple prayer and act, here am I, Lord. Send me. Send me to my neighbors. Send me to the Middle East. Send me wherever you need me. If you need me, I'm here. I ask that we would still keep our heads bowed and eyes closed in this room. I'm going to ask, is there anybody here who you need to find Jesus today? You're ready to come home. You're ready to say to Jesus, I give my life to you. You're ready to say to him that, that, you know, I've tried it on my own and I can't. Maybe you've walked away from him. And tonight, today, you'd like to come back to him. I would like to include you in my next prayer. So I would just like ask you, would you just put your hand up wherever you are and just to say, would you remember me? Yep, I see your hand. God bless you. God bless you. There in the middle, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yep, God bless you over there. One more time. If I haven't seen your hand, yep, God bless you. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you are still in the soul-saving business, that you're still the one who has the authority and the right to proclaim us righteous before God. You're the one who paid the price, and you're the one who made the way. And so we come through you with my brothers and sisters this morning to you, and we ask, Heavenly Father, make your way in their lives. Would you come inside of them in a way that your Holy Spirit only can, and would you wash them clean in Jesus' name? 
Would you make them your followers? Part of it is our decision, but Lord, you do most of the work. And as you have called them today, would you make sure that you who have begun a good work in them, make sure, Lord, please, that you would also complete it in their lives and in our lives. And we all pray this in that mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. May God bless you as you go this Sunday morning. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.